Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women, both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight, won't steer you wrong. Johnny Appleseed himself. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. As uh, as I'm sitting here recording this intro, it is Sunday morning and it is early. It's uh, it's before five o'clock in the morning, and the only reason that I am doing this this intro for this week's show this early in the morning on a Sunday morning is flat out because I can't sleep. I am that excited. I can't sleep. And that's because tomorrow, and as you guys listen to this, it'll all already be over and done. Hopefully I'll have some, some cool stories, but, uh, tomorrow, Monday will be the opening day of the New Jersey bear season. And that is the hunt that I've put a bunch of effort into scouting and, you know, doing some work at and i've just got a really good feeling i've got a chance um i've been seeing a lot of bear on camera a lot of daylight activity there's a lot of sign in the location that i picked uh, and the, the, the tree that i picked for the wind that we're going to have on monday morning so i'm just flat out jacked i can't tell you the last time i was this excited to go and get in a tree i mean i'm always excited to be hunting don't get me wrong but I mean, this level of excitement that I've had for this hunt probably equates to that of chasing the big Boone and Crockett whitetail that I killed in 2020. I mean, it's literally that much excitement. And uh, I think another reason that it hasn't, that it's been so exciting for me to think about bear is I just haven't been on anything from the whitetail perspective yet. Um you know, of the places that I have, a lot of the, the camera intel has gone cold, but that that's not to say that they're not around. And the reason I bring that up is because we haven't had pictures at one of the properties that I hunt, my buddy and I, we haven't had pictures of a shooter in over a week, yet he, uh, he put a sit in this week and saw two of them. Uh, they were 50 yards just out of range, and they never went anywhere close to a camera. So I'm not giving up hope by any means. Just because I don't have pictures doesn't mean I'm not going to be hunting. I think I'm just going to be waiting for opportune times. Um, I'm hoping that the the bear hunt thing, like, I'm hoping that just takes the edge off a little bit and uh, we can shift gears. It's kind of funny. I was talking to another one of my hunting buddies that I, I do some bear hunting with, and 
and plan rifle bear hunting with and stuff. And he was like, so if you shoot a bear in New Jersey, does that mean that you're going to lose interest in shooting a bear in Pennsylvania and you won't want to come do that? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'll be anxious to see if, if I would be lucky and I would be successful to kill one. I will be curious to see if that like scratches the itch or if I want to do it more, because I can tell you like the adrenaline rush I've had chasing bear and scouting them and seeing them. It's been pretty high so who knows we'll see but as far as white tails um i did finally get some pictures on one property of a buck i had pictures of last year uh really neat series of pictures i i I believe he's a three-year-old he was fighting in front of the camera with a smaller two-year-old for a long time he's a really nice buck i don't know if i'll shoot him or not but he's a really nice buck and i'm waiting on uh, a couple of windows this season and uh what I mean by that is windows of time where I see similar trends on certain properties year to year um, and, and hopefully following suit on an annual basis of what some of the deer do based on when the doe come into heat and when a buck comes to check those areas out. And that's going to segue really well into introducing this week's guest. Uh, this week's guest is somebody who I've you know, grown a, a decent friendship with, and he's a heck of a hunter. He's a Pennsylvania guy, and he is, uh, he's all about mountain deer. He's all about deer hunting in general, but a heck of a nice guy. Give you the shirt off his back type person. And that's Aaron Hepler. And Aaron and I talk about a, a number of things, but one of the things we really talk about in our, our conversation in, of whitetails is hunting windows and talking about taking camera data or even hunter observation data from a year-to-year basis and if we can consider all things constant outside of hunting pressure seeing similar trends and not being afraid to go sit a spot um around uh you know a, a week time frame just because we've had good intel the years prior like i said that's what i'm doing on two of the properties of two of the buck that i would like to shoot this year um the one it the one i'm literally hoping that i can sit in the tree and see him before i get a picture of him this year i think that would be perfect because the last three years there's a window between around october 25th and november 1st to 2nd where this deer has showed up every year the last three years assuming it's the same one i believe it's the same buck and the 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 second buck and the one that has quite a bit larger set of antlers he is uh, he's a deer i only have one year's worth of pictures uh but so far the trend that i have noticed he's doing is very similar to last year so hopefully that stays constant uh there was a few summertime instances of this buck last year but I had not gotten a picture of that buck all fall until almost mid-November. And then it was like a light switch flipped, and he was cruising, he was with doe, and it was daylight. So that's mid-November. So I got two windows for two specific deer. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, I'm just going to be hunting by the seat of my pants. I'm going to be hunting some good areas and see if I can run into something, and that's what happens. But um, Aaron and I talk about this amongst many, many more things, whitetail oriented, scouting, hunting, bow hunting, 
philosophy. And, uh, you know, one of the things we touch on briefly is, is just our, uh, our belief in Christ. And we've kind of bring up the Sunday hunting ordeal and how people feel about that. And it's just a great conversation. I really enjoy Aaron. Um, I've been blessed to get to know him and, uh, hopefully we continue to make it a trend where he comes on the show. So before we get to this week's episode, real quick, shout out to our partners, Radix hunting. If you are looking to change your cell camera game or your trail camera game in general, check out the M-Core cell cameras or the Gen 600 standard SD cameras. I'm really, really happy with the image quality. Um, some of the buddies that I'm hunting with in New Jersey, they looked at my card for uh, for, the, for some of the bear pulls. And they're like, man, these images are really, really clear. What kind of camera is this? And it's, it's a Radix. And I've been thrilled with them. The... The cell cameras work really, really well, except when a bear climbs up the tree and breaks your antenna off. So they are not bear-proof from that sense, but you know if you can keep that constant, you've got a really, really good camera. Also, check out their tree stands. I'm running one of their, their hang-on sets. This year, I've got uh, two different sets with Radix, and I really, really like these tree stands. The sticks leading up to them are quiet. They're solid really happy with that stick and pick accessories for trail cameras whether that's uh ground uh, ground stakes for uh your food plot type setup or if it's a a tree stick and pick where you've uh, you put something into the tree and you can adjust the angle and location of that trail camera on a tree versus a strap really really like those i used to kind of roll my eyes when i saw people use them now that i'm using them they're they kind of spoil me a little bit compared to a strap so really happy with those check out radix hunting and with that guys let's uh let's get to this week's episode for a property that you don't have a lot of history with are you better off hanging stands with your gut feeling yeah. Or if I'm only going to hunt it, uh, if I can count the number of times on one hand, am I better off just doing something like with my mobile setup and just hunting at the wheat hunt public? You just know yeah. your access. Like, right. I, I struggle with that because growing up, all I ever did was you got to have it done by you know September 1st or September 15th. I got to have these stands hung so way I'm prepped and this is where I hunt. And my mindset's sort of changing. Is like, do I really need to go through all that? Hey, because I mean, I've done it where I've hung stands and I never hunted them once. It's like, was it worth it? Right. I mean, I guess if you shot a deer out of it, it would be worth it. But I, I agree. Like actually my buddy that, that owns, that owns the farm, I, we, you know them, mm-hmm. but, um, he, uh, he, he really hunts more mobile now. Okay. Like he'll, he uses a climber. He's not, he hasn't really got, I haven't gotten him into a saddle yet. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he hunts more mobile and sees a lot more deer that way. And I like, they, they, did the thing where you like hunt the same stands every year after year. Now he's always rotated them somehow. Um, I mean, they always do a good job of rotating a few, but there's always ones that they like have year after year, but he's been hunting more mobile and, and having much better encounters and like, you know, getting, getting closer to something that's more in the caliber that he'd like to, to be around. Yeah. Growing up, like I can think of like, there was places I hunted where we'd have, gosh 30 30 different tree stands per um hang on stands prep for the season yeah and you know, a lot of them are really good stands but you know stuff stuff can change year to year slightly and you might see a good buck in it like i learned that i would get complacent and i wouldn't be willing to move as much because i was like well that's going to be intrusion to move and this and that and 
kind of hearing other people's perspective, you know, you've done a lot of mobile hunting and there's, there's so many people out there now, now that I'm in this podcasting role where I get to learn people's other tactics and stuff. And it's kind of made me think, so I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that out there. I just know, um, there's, there's two spots that I know have a very good chance and I'll have a stand there. <clears throat> Whether or not I expand from that's hard to say. Yeah. But we can, uh, Getting getting into introductions here. If people haven't noticed who I'm talking with, I'm I'm sitting now with Aaron Hepler. So Aaron, thanks for letting me rain in your parade, crash your party here today. I'm yeah, buddy. Sitting in your 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 workout den here. I'm uh, I'm a little jealous. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's the quiet place, I guess. Right. It's a quiet quiet place. Um, I've been trying to connect with you to do a podcast now for for months, and shame on me every time I think we're going to find time to scout or do something together. Um, I feel like a broken record this year. Like, ah, oh, I, I did the same thing. I was telling my buddy last night, I was like, well, I'm going to podcast with it with Mitch tomorrow. Finally. Like we, every time I feel like I got something going on when, when we want to do something. So it, it never fails. I, I, like I said, I feel like a broken record this year that I got this going on and that going on. It's like, I just need to make time and make it happen. I wanted to to chat with you but i mean from from when we got here and we started talking it doesn't sound like it's been much different for you kind no. of busy 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 <laughs> yeah it's been a busy summer i think in in may we were calling it may sember because it's like you know the, the holiday month but like everybody's getting done school you're doing like getting ready for summer but then it's not stopped this summer like it's just we have plans every weekend with somebody or you know this and that so and I could, I told you my wife is going through like the job change and that kind of thing. So it's just been very busy. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was telling you the construction of my house doesn't seem to end. My goal was to, in the beginning of the year, I was like, I want to have as much of this done by the busy season for work, which a busy season for me is like June, July. Yeah. It's like have as much of that done beforehand as possible. Now, if I'll have it done before hunting season i'll be ecstatic and the realism is that it's probably if i get it done by the end of the calendar year that'll be good <laughs> just never ends it just keeps dragging on but yeah so you got a new boat i want to hear about it what, what what's it like the boat's great man i mean you know living on live on a lake here or whatever but i've never had like i've only had john boats or canoes or and that kind of stuff but it's been a lot of fun like um i actually didn't get fishing on the lake that I live on until this year, really. I, I mean, from the shore, we did a couple times last year, but I didn't even have a John boat here last year. So, and you can put boats, motorized boats on this lake. Yeah. Okay. The, there's two. So the small lake is just, um, electric motors only. Okay. The big lake you can, it, it has like a 40 mile an hour speed limit. Um, which my boat doesn't go that far. I just have a little 40, a little 40 Yamaha on it, but it's just an Alumacraft like 1650, but fishing off that off a boat is so much better than shore. And the fishing here is terrific. Like the the bass fishing in June was we caught a lot. And you know I'm not like we're uh we're gonna do a fish fry at some point because we were fishing for panfish because they're just like the bluegills are like dinner plates here. They're huge. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of perch and. There's supposed to be a lot of walleye. I haven't caught one yet. Do you do any getting crappie here? Yeah, a lot. Like that was my thing when we went to Canada. We were there in 2018, I think it was. We hammered crappie and had a fish fry. And like, this is just my own opinion. I'll probably ruffle some feathers saying this. I think crappie is just as good as walleye. I I mean, as far <laughs> as panfish, I mean, I've only had walleye maybe twice. 
So I, I had it in Michigan a couple times and it, I thought it was delicious. Oh, and yeah. a buddy of mine gave me a couple of fillets when he went, he went on a trip to Erie and they, they are delicious, but yeah, I mean, crappie and perch, and perch is in the walleye family, right. but crappie and perch are delicious fish. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was, I caught, I caught quite a few really nice ones, five really big ones, but then like, I mean, you're piles of, you know, the smaller ones. So. Yeah, and uh, I think my biggest thing is I just hate cleaning fish. That's my biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, what's deer season shaping up for you like this year? I know you uh, did plenty of scouting in the off season like you normally do. Yeah, but... I'm gonna I'm gonna rely probably a lot on um, off season scouting this year. I I got out in the summer too, but I started hanging cameras in April this year because I had this inkling that I was gonna be kind of a busy summer. So I probably hung I think I hung five cameras in April and uh all new areas like just like going through hey i'm gonna i'm gonna put a camera here because expanding on some areas like i actually those five cameras i actually just expanded on the area where i killed my buck this year or this past year and we can i'll i want to talk a little bit about that too um how i kind of like came across that area and stuff but uh i put those up and then i did do some i hung some cameras two weeks ago uh, I think I put nine out two weeks ago. So it's probably a little less cameras than I ran, but, um, I wasn't planning on running more than 10 in like my core area. Cause I've really like learned that and I kind of like honed it down. So I was going to kind of spread, spread them out a little more. So as I, um, I'm hoping to get out at least once more to put up a couple more cameras in new areas just to start building some more, um, more hunting spots but then as i hunt those i'll probably just walk in and hunt some of those areas burn like burn a hunt if it's not like a good day or something and just hang a camera in there and kind of a you know sight, and, sight and see yeah. learning experience type yeah. thing so the cameras that you hung in april you said it was a newer place when you go in with a mindset there i'm assuming you're going to let a camera soak do you prefer just using that for intel to see if there's any quality deer that you're looking for? Or like what, what prompted you to say, this is an area I want to check mm -hmm. out. So it's not, it's not a full blown new area. Okay? okay. So it's like, let's just say you hunt a block that, and this is not accurate at all, but let's say you hunt a, um, a mile square block. Well, I'm going to add on the next mile square that butts up to that. So it's just adding the pieces like, hey, maybe these bucks are filtering from this way because like get them on another camera. They're always coming from that direction, like mm -hmm. kind of going that going that way. But um, <clears throat> for new areas, I'm, I put them on obvious things like uh, most of them are hung on scrapes because yeah. then I can kind of get an idea for what you get an idea for what deer are using that area, especially if you're getting the pictures in October. They're not like a buck that's cruising through on a scrape line or some kind of doe scent that's just picking it up from miles away. Like you're getting that local intel of what they're coming to check that scrape every day. So you can kind of get an idea of, oh, maybe, you know, this buck's hitting it pretty close to daylight. Maybe I'm closer to his bedding area at this scrape versus that one. Or, um, and then you connect the dots with the trails and that kind of thing, their travel routes and what terrain they might bet on. So it's just adding on, it's just an extension of something that I already know. But the reason that, so I, I killed my buck up in that area this year and we've known, we've hunted this area for three or four years now, I think we've never ran that many cameras in there. 
one year we had two in there and um we put a cell cam on a scrape so i think the one well one benefit of cell cams with this is is i think that because you get the pictures in in like real time not real time but like day after or whatever because i don't run them on real time really mostly battery life issues right but, right it's um, like once every 12 hours is one's going to send you your picture yeah. that took throughout the day right yep. you got you um i had i think the when you're getting pictures in that time frame though instead you know like if you get an sd card and you pull it you're looking through everything you don't remember the dates that well but if you get the picture on that date you're like you start to remember that from year to year a lot better like it's like i think last year i got pictures this day you know and you look back and you're like oh i was right Mm -hmm. like this is when i was starting to get pictures so we had had a camera on a scrape in there for three years and you always knew it would pick up um you'd have like a little flurry like 13th through the 16th of october where you'd get some really big bucks checking that scrape at like eight o'clock in the morning and was that did you would you see that calendar year based or was there also any anything weather related that sort of prompted that it always was probably related to a little you know a little uh little cold front but it it was all it's always like i feel like at that time of the year a cold front might not be 20 degrees might just be five like right you know yesterday was 60 today is 55 well that's going to feel a lot cooler to a deer that's been living in the woods every day. You're going to be a lot more sensitive to temperature changes. And in early October, you're, you're, everything's hot. So when it starts to cool like that, even just a little bit, you get like that little flurry of activity. So maybe one year it would be the 13th and next year it would be the 15th. But through through those three years, you'd have that little, that little window of um, activity and it was always daylight. And then it would kind of, You'd still have some, but it would kind of taper off, and then it'd start to build back up around October 20th, and then pretty much through from, like, the 25th through November 1st, like, you have big bucks in daylight all the time on a scrape, and it wouldn't know specific time. Like, they, it would usually, as far as daylight photos go, it would usually start at 8, 8, 8, 8 or 8.30, and then you'd get maybe a picture at 10, always pictures at noon always pictures at two o'clock um so like the location you're talking about with this scrape mm-hmm. that was within security cover that you had this too correct not really okay yeah this was kind of a different so if you really get creative with your mind it was in security cover so it's on an open it was on an open ridge basically basically uh, an oak ridge yeah an oak ridge and i would say I don't know if they burned back there a while ago, but there's a little strip of sassafras that kind of just, and it's not thick, you know, it's not like you can, you can walk through it really easily, but there's a lot of saplings, just like a little vein of them, like, like make basically from me to the wall. So I don't know, five feet, six feet of, of this little vein that goes up through this, um, through this writ, through this open area. And then there's an old, there was an old clear cut, probably 15 years old because it had you know three Pole, to, birch three to, timber yeah stuff, birch yeah. timber yeah um and that was probably maybe like 150 to 300 yards down the ridge because it was kind of like on an angle you know whatever but uh they would always be coming up the ridge and going towards that old birch timber and i think they would bed down around the bottom of that because it was as far as the train goes the bottom of that clear cut was kind of a drop 
so they would okay. bed between like the drop and that old timber but um they just always seemed to to cruise this thing and they always like i said it was very specific times that you would get them like you would always get a deer between 8 and 8 30 sometimes around 10 almost always at noon almost always at two so and it was close the does were using that sassafras strip to kind of bed along so it's really nothing special like you you wouldn't walk in there look at that scrape and be like this is the spot if you if you went through in the summertime yeah it's thick because everything's green and whatever so you would kind of just be like yeah this looks good but there's nothing like uber like there's no terrain feature that you would yeah. say oh this pinches them here for sure nothing like that well it, what you're describing is something that i get hung up on really easily and the example i'll give uh 2019 the buck i killed in northern pennsylvania with the gun it was a fairly new area to me and where he was bedded when i killed him was it was i was walking a very steep side hill and this is open hardwoods this is beech birch maple t- maple timber um, and I mean, there's places you could see 250 yards, but on this side hill, about 80 yards below me, um, was a, a pretty pronounced bench, um, in this ravine and he was bedded on that, that bench. And like I said, there wasn't really much security cover or anything spectacular. It was mostly like barberry bushes type thing. If there was any kind of shrub, but it was still very open. When I got down to that level, um, there was just a couple blowdowns. There was a little bit of that barbarian. There was just little minor differences throughout the woods that, from a distance, I didn't see the, see much detail. But when I got into it, uh, it was polluted with buck sign. There was multiple beds stacked within where I killed him. And I noticed on big woods, other places, like I, I see just a little tweak in something. And I'm like... Ooh, this could be a place for the hunt, and I, I'll go like almost too slow. Like, yeah. like I'll get hung up on something that I, I just won't want to go to the next section because I'm like, I think this is gonna this is gonna hold a good buck here. Like, I, I, there's a ridge that I'm thinking of now that I I go out and for two years I kept thinking there was a section of blowdowns. I'm thinking there's got to be something in here, and I spent more time there. I ran camera there, and it was pathetic. So I I find myself like what you just described it. Nothing really seems that spectacular about it. I think about that like, oh, this could be overlooked, and then I spend more time on it than I need. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. To- I do that. I do that pretty often, especially during shed, shed, uh, shed season. But I guess that's kind of a good time to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I'll I'll end up going in circles in like the same area, and then after a while, you're like, man, I really wanted to get out to that other spot. Why didn't I do that? You know. Sometimes it's better to just put yourself on a straight line and be like, this looks good coming back here, mark it and then move on. Cause then sometimes you can walk through an area and just eliminate it. I, I mean that, for example, I found some decent stuff in those, that birch pole timber that we were just talking about. I found some okay stuff in that, but most of the time you can just cross that off. To, there's nothing in there. You know, if, if that, if that um, browse is too high for them, they'll go in there mostly to travel, not usually to bed. If they're bedding on it, they're usually around the edges. Um, but sometimes you'll find uh, you'll find like a little secret trail of bucks using one year, and there'll be like a rub line. 
and um and and it'll be huntable some somehow but usually that stuff you can almost cross off you can almost cross it off the list sometimes if you're looking to simplify your food plot system while enhancing the quality of your soil you need to check out vitalize seed company vitalize provides top quality seed blends designed to fit into their one two planting system the system has been designed to allow highly diverse plant species to grow synergistically optimizing nutrient uptake and cycling the way God intended. Reduce your inputs, build your soil, and maximize the quality tonnage for the wildlife in your area. Find out more about this system and get your seed at vitalizeseed.com and be sure to check them out on Instagram and Facebook. Radix Hunting was founded on premium grade trail cameras and continues striving to produce the best cellular and conventional trail cameras on the market today. The Gen 600 is a second generation camera from the Gen series line. With premium video and audio recording capabilities, this product has become well respected as the HD video trail camera. In addition to the Gen series cameras, their M-Core cellular camera has all the features of a quality cell camera at an affordable price. Along with their cameras, they offer stick and pick trail camera accessories to allow you to set your cameras just right. You can find it all at RadixHunting.com and be sure to follow Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Want to check out Radix cameras in person? Stop in at Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania and have a peek. Now, back to the show. Another time that I think that I've seen that kind of highlight is better is, so so when you look at the, the best available cover and best available yeah. browse and stuff, that's usually what I go to. Well, depending on where you hunt with the amount of hunting pressure, that's also where the hunting pressure goes. So what you just described in some of those places, I can think of a handful of places in some of the spots I hunt where those lower quality vegetation areas yeah. are actually good for hunting because people don't hunt them as much. Right, exactly. Um, we have a lot of, uh, I don't know, if it, is it black gum tree that we have a lot yeah, of here? Yeah, lots of black gum here. Yeah, so. Fantastic browse. Yeah, it's great when it's small, but when it gets big, they don't, they're not in there that much. But if you, if you've hunted it when it's small and you, you, you have it when it's larger, you'll find the funnel through it because they've been using it for years and years. Mm. But there is a lot of, um, a lot of black gum. Actually that, that one shoulder mount that I showed you, the public, the 10, yeah. the one from 2018, that was in most of that clear cut is black gum. Right. Um, I mean, speaking of black gum, any, like I've been able to, that's a fantastic tree. Like if you're doing private land stuff to hinge, okay, fantastic for that because they'll eat the tops like crazy. It's very mm-hmm. prolific in growth. So I really like black gum, not to be confused with sweet gum because sweet gum's the one that they talk about in the South. It's just non-desirable. Yeah. I'm going to go back to your buck. So you were talking about windows and I've been on a window kick too. It's like the buck I killed in 2020 and there was a window of history I had when that deer specifically liked to show up and I ended up killing him in 2020 from that. And I'm kind of watching, uh, there's, there's two deer I have in my mind this year on two different properties that anywhere from one to three years of history with them, they show up at a very specific time and a lot of times in daylight yeah. during this these calendar dates. And you were talking about windows there. So just generally speaking, if it's not specific deer, 
are, are a lot of those places you're hunting, you're confident that if I see the weather condition that I'm at, I got enough history, I'm going to go hunt this even if I don't have the pictures there. Because, so like, that, I always feel like I'm one step behind because then I get the picture, then I want to go hunt it, and I'm, like, right. a step behind. So this is why I wanted to talk about this, and that's perfect. This is a perfect segue into that is I ran that camera for three years there. This year, I hung the camera in – I hung the camera really early. I think I hung it in turkey season. And obviously it died in like August. And it is a real, real hard hike to get in there in the summertime. It's hot. There's lots of snakes. And it's not an area always hung like a lot of cameras. So when you go in there, you're literally going to hang one camera. And then you're hiking all the way back out of there. And I was like, like I'll, I'll just go do it when I go. I'll go hunt there early once or something, and then I'll. And, and I never got back to it. And um, when you get to like October, you're like, well, I don't really want to go in there if I'm not gonna have a good hunt because I know it's a good spot. I don't want to go jack it up. So then you just don't go in there when the season starts. And I was just like, you know what, this spot's good because here's why. We always got the pictures, same same every year, every year, same same deal. Now, when I say when I say big bucks, we're getting anything from a hundred to in there. We might have had I'm trying to think. Probably the best one we had in there was one forty five. Mm-hmm. But there there's a lot of like Pope Pope and Young type, buck, like a lot of one twenties. This mountain seems to have a lot of like tip, like one 120 inch 10 pointers. That's like a, there, there's a lot of them. Sure. But, um, we'd always get like one real special one that was like 145 ish maybe. So, and me hunting public land, I'm good with like 110, 100, 100, 110 inch. I'm, if, if I, if they if give me a shot. If it gets a blood I'm, pump and it's going to yeah, get shot. I'm probably, um, and I'm not like a, uh, if I wouldn't shoot it on the first day, don't shoot it on the last day kind of guy. Like I'm not either. I will pass up, I'll pass up a hundred inch deer on the first day. So probably and unless I'm, unless it's something special about, you know, but, um, I might pass that deer on the first day, but I want to shoot a deer with my bow. That's my goal. I don't, I don't want to shoot my deer with my gun. So I will probably shoot a hundred inch deer on the last day, you know, 10 times out of 10 because, I just want to shoot a deer with my bow. I don't really and, care. And there's how nothing big wrong with that. I I I don't I like where you're going with this, but I gotta stop you there because I gotta bring that up. I've mm-hmm. been harassed by that comment so many times. Don't shoot something on the last day that you wouldn't have shot on the first day. I completely disagree with that because if you've got an entire hunting season, if you shoot something first, you 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 could have better experiences. Don't even talk about the deer. Think mm-hmm. about how much time you miss when you when you don't get to go. It's to right. me, it's the hunting experience. But if it's something you'd be happy with the first day and it shows up the last day to me it's just what, what does it matter right like if i like doe bleated it in or i stalked it or whatever like i'm probably gonna shoot if there's like some cool story that goes with it i'm probably gonna shoot it because i won't i won't forget it yeah you know what i mean like a, a, a big buck isn't much without the story to me like i i don't know so so 100 inch deer can make me happy again like like my goal this year is to shoot a buck on the opener I'm, i might not do it but i will lower my standards pretty pretty low to shoot a buck on the, i've never done it so i want to do it but um i think that it i think that is important like 
maybe I won't shoot a hundred inch deer on the first day if it gives me the opportunity, but on the last day, it's probably going to, cause I like gun hunting, but I'd rather shoot a deer with my bow. And I also like to eat deer a lot. Mm-hmm. So if I don't shoot that buck, it is not going in my freezer. <laughs> and then you're also saying like guaranteed you're going to get one with your gun. Like you might not get an opportunity yeah. like pu- public land hunting, especially in this corner of the state with a gun is, is not it's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. And it's not really safe. Like it, during the week, you could get out during the week and, and probably, you know, have less crowds, but there, I mean, it is, you know, when everybody says the pumpkin patch, it is literally like that. Some places, yeah. You go out and you can just count the hillside on how many orange dots you see. You know what I mean? Well, you try to shoot a doe in archery season to alleviate the meat stress for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, my problem is, is like a hunt for a buck on the opener and then I, uh, Usually I shoot a doe right after that, but, um, most of your best time to shoot a doe is on the first day too. Cause you can, you yeah, know. it's always the first day in first time in is always the most fun. But yeah, anyway, no. we were getting off topic. Yeah. We, were, we were talking about your windows and some of the places you were, you were in for the, your buck last year. Yeah. So, so I, so that camera died mm-hmm. back to that story. That camera died. I didn't get back in there, but what had happened the last couple of years is, is one of my buddies had gone in at the end of October, not this past fall, but the previous one and, and sat in there. I, I guess, I guess actually when we first hung that camera, I did shoot a buck that was on that camera pretty far down the ridge. It was that smaller, that like 90 inch six pointer that you saw up there mm-hmm. on the wall. I killed that buck not far from that area and it was on that camera end of October. So he goes in there last year and he hit a really nice buck, probably in a one thirties, one forty. It was, it was nice. And, um, I think he ended up tracking it like a mile. He couldn't figure out how he hit the deer. It was probably back and low is my guess. Um, but he chased it for a mile and a half and, and lost blood couldn't find anything and the blood trail was never anything spectacular Mm. like almost like it was like a good flesh wound that he kept kept pumping you know but um he was not able to recover that deer and we ended up sending a buddy in there i think a week later and he shot his first public land buck it was a it was a six point little little six pointer well when he was it was funny because none of us were available to help him pack this deer out. So he ended up putting his tree stand on his back and the whole deer and hiking out with the, so he shot this six pointer and he gets out to the access trail and a 10 pointer is standing on the access trail, getting ready to go into where we always sit up in that area. And it is kind of an area where you can just have people just go back to because it's, in October, you couldn't do that because it's like they're, they're home bodies. Like there's a lot of consistent bucks, but as November tapers on, it's where all the bucks will cruise through. Cause we'll get a lot of big pictures of big bucks, like November 14th, you know, anywhere from the eighth through the 14th, we'll get some pictures of big bucks cruising through there at noon. Have you ever seen them? And they're deer you never saw before? Or? Deer never saw before. Yeah. Right. So you could have people just go back in there if you need to. 
so I, this year, um, I was sitting there at the, uh, on the, at the end of October and I, um, I actually hit a deer as well. I had this big buck come in and I snort. We, he was following some does. So he came up the ridge. He was following some does. Pretty typical of the pattern up there. It was eight o'clock in the morning. And, um, he was, he was following this, this group of five does that had gone through and I snort wheezed at him and he turned on a dime and started like basically trotting down the hill towards me. And the thermals were perfect. Like, you know, they were coming up the ridge, but as soon as they would, they would come up, they'd go straight into the air. So he wasn't getting me at all. And, uh, I thought he was going to circle and actually catch my wind, but he didn't. He like just kept coming and I'm like, this deer's going to give me like a five yard shot. And he, um, <clears throat> he ended up being at 10 and I had my bow drawn and I squeezed the trigger and I ended up hitting, um, I ended up hitting a branch that mm. just was like in my, you know, like branches, they get a little blurry when they're, when you have that. Yeah, and they're probably below your line of sight. Yeah. But it's you're looking at, trajectory. right. You're looking at your sight pins. You got, you're focused on the deer. And I remember like shooting it, hearing something crack and seeing the branch going like, you know, wiggling in that breeze when I hit him, but I hit him back. Like I hit him, I probably hit him in the hip, I guess. It looked like I gut shot him, but the way the arrow was, I think it went into his knee. Um, cause when I found the arrow, the only thing that had any type of, had like clear fluid on it was the, um, was the broadhead. There mm. was no meat on the arrow, no blood on the arrow, nothing. And I had like a little bit of, I actually had like a little bit of a blood trail and I was talking, I think the whole time Chad props to Chad. He like talked me through like, Oh, you need to look for this, look for that. You know, Chad's really good at blood. Um, Chad Sylvester's really good at blood trailing. Um, so he was kind of like helping me through it and I called some trackers and they're like, you hit that deer in the, in the knee joint. Like there's no way you're going to, you know, unless you get a, unless you keep him going, but he might go for days and days and mm -hmm. you know, but that was like, that was probably a 130 inch eight pointer. Mm. So it was, it was a big, it was a big deer. Um, initially I was like, ah, he wasn't that, I was trying to make myself feel, ah, he wasn't that big. He was probably like 115. And then I was like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he was big. <laughs> yeah. Insult to injury, turn a knife a little bit. So I know the spot's good. I still don't have any pictures up there. Right. I'm like, I'm going back. Like, I don't think I'm going to see that deer again, but it would be nice if I did a B I know it's a good spot. I know we can send people in there again. So I went, I went November 8th and I actually saved all these stories on my, on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. You can, you can go and see it, but it's like when I was coming in the access trail, there were deer everywhere. I, you know, I saw a buck chasing a doe down a ridge. You went in in the morning, right? Yeah. I went to go into my stand and there were five does standing under the tree that I was going to pick, you know, well, in the general vicinity of the tree that I was going to sit in. So I just stayed on the access trail for 20 minutes until they filtered out. And, um, I got into the spot. Good. Didn't bust anything. And, uh, I remember take, I think I took a picture of my bow on the ground and said like, today's the day. And then like, I have like succession, like eight, you know, and everybody was texting me, Oh, you, how's it going? I'm like, I didn't see anything yet, but at my eight is my time today. And, um, I, uh, I actually 
my, my wife texted me about something and I responded, it was eight 32 and I hear a, I hear deer coming and I see his rat coming and I drew my bow and was like, that'll do like, you know, cause it's, it's winding down. It's the rut, you know, and I'm like, that'll do. And, um, I remember telling myself heart shots only, and he got like eight yards and I pulled the trigger, saw it open up in the, in his heart, watched him run 40 yards or 40, 50 yards, turned around, came back towards me and fell over. And I was like, Holy crap. And I texted her back. She's like, you didn't kill. Like I called her and she was like, what are you talking about? You just, you just texted me literally two minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, I know I killed a buck. <laughs> Put your phone in your pocket and yeah. here it came. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, it was a really cool morning and I've told this before on other podcasts, but it's my favorite, it's my favorite thing to talk about. One of my good buddies that lives, um, actually lives here in this same community. Um, he, he wasn't doing anything that morning, but he, he had some errands to run in the morning. So he couldn't hunt with me that day. But I texted him and I was like, yeah, I got one down. And he's, he's like, well, we got you want me to come and help track? I'm like, we don't need to. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll come help you get it out. So he didn't, he had like his, he had, he has a little car, so he couldn't like drive up to the area. It's too, the road is way too rough for him to get in there. So my wife actually picked him up. I, she's like, I'll pick him up and drive him and he can bike in and help you, you know, get it out. You can, you can kind of bike a little bit it's, it's not an easy bike it's like your true true blue mountain bike you can get in at least a quarter of the way kind of like help you know helps relieve some of the the um the long hike but um he biked that quarter away hiked the rest of the way in and uh we're we're like deboning this deer because i pack everything i have like a quarter mile rule if i got to drag further than that it's getting packed out yeah i wish i would have had that rule sooner in my life yeah so i um yeah i agree with you because i didn't start doing that till i hunted mostly public yeah um we were deboning this deer and he's like whistling i'm like oh is there deer over there he goes no i turn around and my wife is walking through the woods (laughs) so that was really cool because I mean, she's, she's been with me when I've killed deer on the farm and like, or like, you know, been there when I've got brought, brought deer home and stuff, but she's never come to do, help do a pack out on public or anything. Well, she like that. found you on her she own with found just me, a pin, right? Yeah. She used up, she logged into my Onyx and found like, so you didn't even send it to her. You, I didn't just... even send it to her because she had gone in there with me before to pull that camera. And she was like, I, I mean, my buddy told her. Uh, my buddy Jared was like, you know, it's, it's round in here. So she kind of had like an idea of where it was, but she, she gets lost very easily. So for her to like pick a pin and find me and like, I was like, oh, that's she, I'm very she impressed. came out to you and you were like, you've never been hotter in my eyes. <laughs> I know <before."> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so she helped us. Um, I mean, we were, you know, she helped us like put all the meat in the game bags and she packed up made it nice because she like put a lot of my gear and clothes in her backpack and mm-hmm. um jared and i um carried the deer out but so it was a, it was a really fun experience you know but all in all i didn't you can't say that i ran a camera there and used intel this year from that camera no it was, history. It was all history so what i'm doing now is like i'm building that area 
larger, mostly because it's like, I don't want to go hunt the same tree every time I go in there. I know it's a good area because we get a lot of good pictures and it, it it's good to expand on areas that you know are good because you can find another like sweet spot like that where they always come through. Well, I have a question on that too. So the area you're talking about, you're talking about a window. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go to hunt that, is the terrain in such a manner that the thermal gives you an advantage for a certain time of day? Or do you have to be specific with the wind direction that's coming for that? Because I think about hunting public land, hunting those windows, certain places and certain deer I've hunted in my time, like... I get that window, but if I don't get the right wind, I can't hunt it. And uh, like with public, sometimes you roll the dice, and sometimes you've got terrain that advances. Like I was wondering your your thought on that. So it's not like I told you. There's not. It's kind of like a gradual uphill slope where we're hunting, and there is a like a drop off the ridge, but it's kind of it. It's not enough that it would affect your wind too much. Like you, okay. w- it wouldn't really matter too much. Now, you know, in early October here, we get like southwest winds pretty often. Yeah, that's like the dominant. Yeah. But then towards the end of October, those northeast, northwest winds are a little more common because it's getting colder, you know. So you will sometimes get that northeast, northwest wind. In this spot, the only wind that you can't hunt is a south wind because there's a doe bedding area that if you hunt a south wind, they peg you when you're walking in. If you're up a tree before they're in their bed, sometimes you can get it to blow over them. If it's a stiff south wind, um, you which never happens because no, south it'll winds cool are down and then it yeah. just drifts down. Yeah. So, so if you had like a, a storm blowing up from the south and then you had like a, a pretty a pretty good like always 14 miles an hour south wind, you might get it to blow over their heads. I don't hunt it on a south wind because I every time I've been in there, I on a south wind I don't see a deer. Mm. And I think it's probably because I'm blowing it out because any other time you sit there, you see deer. So, um, that's part of just experimenting too. Like you can guess what the right wind is, but a lot of times you get it wrong. Like you think, Oh, like the deer bed over here, they feed over here. So I got to sit here on this wind and you don't see deer. Why didn't you see deer? Probably because you were wrong. They probably bed here and feed here and your wind blew into them because either that or you're in the wrong spot but a lot of time like a lot of times if you get the wind right you're gonna see deer at some point even if oh, it's absolutely. even if it's further away so most of the time i think if you're not seeing anything they either a you're in the wrong spot deer aren't moving which are probably less likely than your wind blew into them well i, I i'm glad you brought that up because that's a good point i think that all the time if i'm hunting somewhere and i've got deer sign that tells me they're here and i'm mm-hmm. not seeing them the the wind or the thermal mostly has got to be doing something that I don't realize and right. I'm getting busted because right. I mean I've hunted deer where sometimes it's like you you, you drop milkweed or you puff a bottle or something and it, you, the wind direction's going this one way and then 90 degrees over here they're blowing at and you're like what the heck and then all of a sudden it just you follow the milkweed going that mm-hmm. direction like mm-hmm. 50 yards down the road it's like what what is going on here and I think that all the time in terrain like I'm probably missing something there, but so the one advantage in this area, any time that I've hunted there, it didn't matter what the wind direction was. Like I could be standing out in the access trail, which is pretty up top and flat. I'd be up there, drop the milkweed and the wind, it'll go the way, whatever the way the wind is going on your weather app is the way the milkweed would blow rare in this area right that's good you get up in a tree in this tree for 
rare for this area, but good, but not for this tree all the time. Okay. So the only bad wind, like I said, was a south wind because it was the only wind that went the way that it was saying it was going to go when you were in the tree. So if deer are bedding to your north and you're sitting on a south wind, the, that wind always went to the deer. However, any other time I've sat in that tree, the wind goes the direction I want it, but the weather app says it's doing something different. Mm. So if I drop milkweed, the wind, the milkweed would always tend to go towards the, uh, towards the Southeast almost all the time. It would either go, uh, it would either, so, so it would basically be, it would be like having a Northwest wind or it would go, um, it would go straight East, which would be out. The ridge drops off towards the East, not drops off, but like the gradual slope is towards the East. So everything that I was, all my wind that was blowing towards the East was going over everything's heads out to the end of wherever it was way up, Mm -hmm. you know? And as the sun came up, it would just, it would kind of like push that up to the Northwest still, and it would go straight up in the air. So all your wind in that, it's, it's almost like a bolt. It was almost like a skateboard ramp where all this wind is just going out and away from you. But it was all, you could always go in there no matter what wind it was and know which way your wind, your, your wind and your thermals were going to go. Unless you got like a pretty strong wind, which really hunt that area too, too much on, I haven't hunted it too much on strong winds, but like I said, South wind was the only one that I really ever had trouble with because it's the only one where the wind would do what it would say it was going to do. But then you could go in there and know like, oh, my thermals are going to do this all the time because I'm either going to have my wind going to the Northwest or and what was crazy is, is it would always be just off, right? The deer also came from a Northwest kind of direction, but the wind would always be just a little bit to their right or to their left where they're kind of like, they're just not in your scent cone either a, they're not in your scent cone or B the wind is blowing. Your wind is blowing over top of them before they get to that area of discomfort. The other advantages is like most of these areas around here, um, access people are so into hiking and recreation now that like if you're hunting close to a trail, I I don't know that they can tell the difference. Like, Oh, this person's in here now versus like, uh, this person walked here an hour ago. So they're, they seem to be a little more lax when you can tell sometimes when they hit people scent, you know? And they'll like put their nose in the air and lick a little bit or whatever. And they're kind of like walk slow for a couple minutes and then they go back to normal. I think there, these areas that aren't so far from access trails, like they, they kind of get a little bit of, they're not dumb to human scent, but they're kind of a little more, they don't take it as like, Oh, I got to bust out of here right now, you know, because they don't put sight they tend to put sight with smell more often. So if they smell you and see you, then you're screwed. But if they smell you, they kind of do that. Like, Oh, I'm going to take my time a little bit, but they don't just automatically bust out of there. Well, speaking of senses, this is one thing I've kind of taken from somebody else. I heard this statement one time, like for, for a younger deer, a fawn takes three senses for him to bust you for a doe. It takes, any combination of two to bust you in a mature buck, it might only take one. But right. You brought up a good point with the access stuff. Like I, I attribute that the same concept to like at my house where I've got an in-ground dog fence, right? 
and you know deer know there's dogs there mm-hmm. but if if for some reason that fence would get turned off and they can get outside that boundary they can sense that and i think right. it's the same thing like they're used to human interaction within this certain realm if it goes beyond that into their neck of the woods they're going to probably be on on more full alert right. so i think about that with an access trail first of all people most hikers don't deviate too far off the access trail. Sometimes Correct. they do. Yep. I mean, if, if it's within 30 to 50 yards of an access trail, yeah, that's probably a little bit different to them. But, I mean, if you're way off the access trail and it's mm-hmm. a strong, prominent thing, that's where I think the red flag goes up. But I agree with you that like, you can kind of get away. The biggest thing I learned is don't hunt some of them places on a Saturday when the hiking is the, the most right. dominant. Right, because then they're, then they're putting the sight and the smell together. Yeah. <laughs> and you're screwed. But, and, and like I said, you can tell that, that most of the time I have, I have enough of the thermal advantage that it's, it's, it's blowing up and away from them and out over the top of wherever I'm hunting mm-hmm. in this, especially in this particular area. So either they're so far away that it doesn't really matter or they're, they're not putting two and two together, but anytime that it has like maybe they're on the edge of my scent cone or something and pick up a little something. You can tell that they smell something. They, that they, you know, something's making some kind of sense. You know how deer get when Mm -hmm. they just like kind of get a little stiff legged and they put their head down and put their head up and put their head down and put their head up. And that body language stuff that you're reading that like, well, that deer knows something's not quite right, but then they spend enough time in it that they kind of just relax and are like, well, nothing happened to me yet, so I guess I'm good. I don't, right. I don't know. That's probably not what they're thinking. But then they kind of just go back to what their normal thing. Um, I mean, I ha- I, I can't say that. I'm not like hardcore scent regimen, but I I change my clothes when I get to wherever I'm. I'm so sweaty when I get into wherever I'm going, so it's not even just for scent. If I don't peel off that layer and get rid of it, I'm cold. Yeah. Because you're just wet when you walk into that stuff. So usually what layer you got on, it's going to, it's not fun. Right. So usually I'm, and I don't change at my stand. I'll change like far enough away that that scent isn't going to matter that much. Right. And I'll like put those clothes in a plastic bag, just leave them there and pick them up on my way out. Um, but then a, I'm a lot more comfortable because I'm not wet anymore. And then B like I'm wearing, I, I use that ozone closet out there. I don't know if it works, but it doesn't, it definitely decreases human scent, you know? Oh, it or, absolutely does. Yeah. I use the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like a firm believer in, I, I mean, cover scents will work. Like if you have like, I mean, if you're going to get a cover scent, that's like chemicals and sprays, you might as well just rub your clothes in the dirt when you get there. If you're going to do like a scrape scent or something, you know what I mean? But the ozone thing is definitely like, I, I'm a pretty firm believer in, in the ozone. I think it does a good job of removing human scent from your clothing. The problem is all of our clothing that we wear, unless it's got some kind of liner or something, it's permeable and right. human odor goes through that. And like, I still exactly. think if they get human scent, you're probably not going to be like, I used to go through so much crazy. Like I, I this, the, my, my scent control process started, like I would do, um, I would do like the family, wash like that was left to do and i would do it in just unscented yeah clothing or unscented detergent then i would do all the bath towels yeah then i would do 
only socks and stuff like that. And I would do that. And like, I kept this process because I wanted to, before I put my main hunting clothing, I wanted to wash the washing machine out as many times as possible to unscent yeah. things. And, you know, I used to do, you know, I, I always kept separate boxes with, you know, light, different types of layers throughout the season. And, you know, I'd wear it one time, go on the pile, and I'd restart the process. And I tried to wash enough clothing throughout the hunting season. And I just got to a point where I'm like, I'm doing all this work. And I'm still getting winded. Yeah. So, like, at what point is it, like, it's just not fun anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And since we're talking about it, I think it's something that can really stress and burn out new hunters. It's like, oh, you got to send control this and do that. And there's so many products for this and that. Like, I don't have that at all anymore. Other than, like I said, that I think changing when you get in, but that serves two purposes. Like, if you're cold at the end of October you're not sitting for more than three hours. You know what I mean? Like you can't do it. And if you do like, you might have, you get like a 20, 30 degree morning, end of October, early November, and you're sitting there wet. You're either a ruining your opportunity or you cause yourself some issues if you're out there, you know, but I, I did the same thing, like wash my clothes and all this. Now, honestly, my wife is, uh, very good with all the, um, with all the hunting habits. So, you know, she's, we actually don't use any scent in our detergents or anything just because a, my daughter has like sensitive skin. So it's easier to wash and like free and clear stuff. And, um, like I, that we use a lot of tea tree oil and that's actually like natural scent type, you know, I mean, it smells like it's had glycerin in it or whatever. I don't know. So it's like natural kind of scents or whatever, but I do notice like even the ozone like really takes out you get, I mean, go ahead out, go out there and sweat your bum off in some hoodie in the middle of summer or something, and then put it in that closet. You might have to run it twice, but that stench goes away. It does. And, but one thing that it doesn't take away real well is like chemical smells. So if you wash your clothes in Tide or something and then put it in that thing, it, it takes a long time for that smell to go away. Right. And I think it's because it's like, you know, it, what, it, what it's really doing is killing bacteria. So it's a good way to, those ozone closets are a good way to um, extend the life of your camouflage. Because if you wash your camo clothes 18 times in the lawn, like they get faded, you know, so that there's one good aspect of, a, of ozone. But you really don't have to wash your clothes for most of the year because you can really get it you can really treat it well in those in those closets one thing i'll say about ozone so my ozone closet is a little bit on the redneck side and i i got this from somebody else this wasn't my brilliant idea but literally took an old refrigerator that broke and put racks in it and took you know your your standard ozone like car cleaner thing yeah because it's cheaper right yeah and stuck it in a fridge it works great oh that's a great idea um they actually probably have a little more these don't have really potent. Oh, this was a gift, but they don't have super potent. Oh yeah, this ozones. is way more ozone than you need for that space. Like you're yeah. talking about enough ozone to like cover yeah, this so, room, right. and we're putting it inside of a refrigerator. Right. That works really well. One thing I will say though, in that situation, it could be because we're putting, you're generating more O2 for an you know, O3, I guess for right. for uh, for a space that small. But it's really hard on elastic after a while. Yeah. Like waistbands and yeah. Like if you put backpacks and stuff that has like, you know elastic stretch and buckles and stuff. It's yeah, rough you, on it. Yeah. You have to be like, don't put your bow in there. You'll ruin your bowstring probably. Yeah. Um, 
I think the I think isn't it just synthetic rubbers that it's hard on though? It could be because I think I think people were talking about sick of clothing having issues with like with the elastic bands and stuff getting, but they fixed that. So I think that it's is if it's natural rubber or something like that, it doesn't break down as easy. You could be right. I think I over a period of time, it still will. But I haven't paid attention close enough to know that. Yeah, you do have to be careful with your with your stretchy stuff, but. Like if you got merino wool stuff, the the automatic like that already comes with its own like natural scent repellent stuff. Like that stuff takes a long time mm-hmm. to get stanky, you know. But you put that the merino wool stuff in there, and it's it works great. So and I love merino wool. Um, I I you know honestly like I was like a I like to spend money where <laughs> where it's gonna get me something that I really wanted for a while and usually clothes wasn't that i'm like i'll just wear this i'll wear that i'll wear you know like see it's like the uh real tree wrangler special at walmart or something oh those are the pants i'm wearing you know like or whatever that's what i did for a long time but when you um when you use merino wool like you know i have a couple pieces i have a couple outfit like first light stuff or like a couple Mm -hmm. things from sika it's very worth it it's very worth your time and your money for it. Mostly because like it definitely gets you more time in the tree because you're, you, you can just brave other elements that you didn't really, weren't really willing to do before. And you don't really realize it until you wear that stuff that you're like, Oh yeah, I can tolerate this a little better, but it also is more comfortable. It's more quiet. Like it, it's, it is more enjoyable and it ends up being worth like even if you only have you don't have to have like a closet full of all this stuff you just need like a couple pieces and it gets you a long way because it lasts forever it's easy to clean merino wool is like the warmest thing i've ever worn you know and it it's nice too because it's also one of some of the coolest stuff you'll ever wear in hot hunting weather so yeah i can echo that like because i would always be the same way i'd get the cheapest clothing possible yeah. and i'd have i had totes full of clothing and I'm yeah exactly now i started throwing stuff away because i like, did i too. don't need this yeah i did too because it's just yeah and that stuff gets so gross like you get that dirty hiking once like you're washing butt sweat out of that forever you know what i mean it's like I know exactly what you mean i might as well throw these ones out or they turn into turkey hunting clothes <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah it's a good thing they don't smell yeah um going back on the the window thing so you were talking about that like that camera for the bucky shot last year mm-hmm. you'd gone in there on a window period and you were talking about so you you got more cameras in some areas, so you're, you're clustering more cameras and stuff. So are you looking in some of those areas for more windows for the future? And I'm kind of curious, like going into this coming season, are you go, are you thinking about approaching windows very similar to the way you did with that buck last year? And are you using cell cameras to help solidify that in any case? In this area, I'm not using cell cams, uh, mostly because I end up using cell cams in areas that are like I would call core hunting areas or whatever. Like I'll use those to see when those areas start to heat up. And I think I think you almost using a bulk of cameras in one area helps you like really learn, dial everything in. But one thing it, it really ends up confusing your mind on is is when that window is because you just get pictures every day when you have 10, 20, 30 cameras out in one area, like you're getting so many pictures that you're not like, you don't narrow it down as well to 
these three days or whatever in my in my mind unless you keep like you know bow martonic it and keep long excel spreadsheets right (laughs) i struggle with that yeah i do too but um i mean i have like some good idea but then like you might get a a homebody buck on 10 out of those 20 cameras you're using and then like oh which one is he hot on you know like you, you start to get confused by it if you don't if you're not really like writing everything down and like this date he was over here this date he was over here this date it was during the day but um i won't use cell cams in in a particular in in this particular area but yeah i am expanding on i'm trying to expand on windows but also um also to learn more about the caliber because like i said there is there are some really really great bucks up there but when you get most of the bucks that I get that are big are only going through once or twice. I might only have, uh, you know, I might get, um, I might get like a 140 in the last week or two of October. And then I might not see that buck on that. Doesn't mean he's not there, but I might not see that buck on camera again until, uh, the end of the first week of November because he's coming back from, he checked it out in October, knows there's stuff good good going on there and comes back through in, during the rut. Um, again, doesn't mean he's not there, but I might get the same like 110-inch eight-pointer every morning at 8.30. Right. You know, so it's kind of like learning like, hey, is are those bigger ones spending more time over this direction versus uh, here? And they're, this is just kind of the edge of something they want to be checking out. And that's why I'm getting them because um, they don't seem to be homebodies. Um so like that roamer, like you, you just described an example of like a, a 140 roamer that shows up the first week of November. And then, you know, it might, let's just say it's a two day, two or three day period where like he shows up in the morning on November 5th. And then he showed up the morning of November 6th and the evening of November 6th. And then he was gone for a month. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, uh, you got no pictures of him. Then all of a sudden gun season comes to a close and then all of a sudden, boom, he shows up and he made it through gun season. Mm-hmm. So like in your mind is that window in November, is that enough for you to think, well, he made it through gun season. I'm going to go hunt that location or around that just to see if that window happens again the following year. Yeah. hundred percent. Actually the one year I was going back there to pull that camera, it was the year that I went back with my wife to pull that camera. I went on the last day of muzzleloader season and I didn't, I don't, I'm not sure if I had the deer that I saw on camera, but when we were walking back there, there was a half rack and, uh, he was probably one of the biggest bucks I've, I've seen on the hook. Like, well, that's not true, but he was probably 140 inch deer, but you could only see the one. I mean, you only had the one side and he was chasing does on, I think it was January 12th. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. End of muzzleloader season. End of late. Yeah. Whatever it was, it was the last day and we were hiking in there to get this camera out and he just i have a picture of him he just stopped on the road and he's big like you know thick antler big 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 buck um but yeah like i think i might have had a picture of him on the camera but there i don't i don't remember if i did or not but yeah i will go back there and and say like hey like i had that buck cruising which is kind of why i went back and to hunt my deer that day cuz i knew that i had bucks on camera from like the 6th through the 13th, I think, um, more towards like that 11 to 13. I had a lot of bucks like at midday between eight thirty and midday. I had like a lot of good bucks cruising through that area. So 
I knew it was like a good time to be in there for, for rut. So yeah, I would, I would go back there and hunt, hunt that at that point. That's kind of what I'm using for me this year. The, the two deer that I have in mind that like, I know made it through, I know they're mm-hmm. of caliber I would shoot and they're on small properties mm-hmm. that I, that I can hunt. Like that's all I have. Like yeah. I know that those deer made it through and I know that these specific times is when they came through. So like when I, when I'm looking at my calendar throughout the year, I mean, I have times I want to go hunting as much as I possibly can. Like, mm-hmm. but I mean, when I'm like talking about it with my busy schedule, like we were talking about at the beginning and talking with my wife, I'm like, look, if there's any way possible that I can get like a two day window around here, that's what I'm going off of unless I you know find something else. And I, I know that's kind of want to win, but I feel like I got enough knowledge of the property to, to at least roll with that and, and yeah. see what happens, roll the dice on it. Yeah. And the, the the dates are are a good thing to go by, man. But like I I've had some good. I've had some good early October encounters. I've had some good mid October encounters. But that last like, between, basically between the nineteenth and the thirty first of October are really my favorite time to be in the woods, because the nineteenth it might not be great, but it's when it's starting to, you know, it's starting to heat up a little bit. Especially if you have one of those good Octobers where you get like. Uh where where the weather is not it's not even just always cold it's more the um i guess you can call it we'll call it weather contractions where you have like a cold day and two hot days a cold day and two hot days because it makes that cold day really good because they feel it coming Mm -hmm. you know um whether it's the barometer or whatever but i i like it better when it's that way versus like oh i just have a week of cold because that's just like not not that that's bad either like it's still good but i the like fluctuation i like what the fluctuation like. better last year we had a bunch of fluctuation mm-hmm. two years ago we had like none it was it was really poor for that because i'm the same way like it seems like if you got those ups and downs it just kind of it, it gives you a couple percentage when do you start to feel confident in morning hunts in october i always hunt mornings in october but i feel confident probably around the 14th i'll okay. start so maybe a little earlier than, than some people, but I still hunt. I still hunt the morning sometimes. Absolutely. I, certain properties I've stopped hunting the mornings just because like what I know about the properties, it's to me, it's not worth yeah, risking it for a better evening hunt or for something later in the year. But there's still plenty of other places where, yeah, if I'm not going to hurt anything, I've got enough places to cross off my list. Why not throw a sit at it? The, the one thing that might keep me from hunting mornings is, uh, it gets light earlier. And if I know I'm not going to be able to get in there before I'm going to jack everything up, then I don't, I won't go in that far. That's a good point. Um, and you know, we talked about does in the beginning. If you, if you are trying to take some pressure off by shooting does early in the season, like go out in the morning and shoot does. Like, oh, absolutely. Who cares? That's like, a great time. you're not going to. You might bust deer out and you might spook does or might make make yourself a bad hunt because you kicked out a bedding area or something, but you're not going to get those does to leave. Like if there's a family group of does, you have to try really, really hard to get them to go to the next county. You know what I mean? Like they're coming back at some point, especially if you're hunting, you know, if, if you're somebody that hunts like knock on door permission type stuff, like that doe, that doe group is not leaving mm-hmm. there. They might shift a little bit, right? And you might have to figure that out. But that's a great time to hunt mornings. And you know, most of us, I know plenty of people who love evenings, who love just love the evening hunt. 
that's fine too but most of us love to just watch the like hear the woods wake up and and experience that part of the hunt there's just something different about hunting in the morning versus the evening that's for sure however i've killed more of my better bucks in the evening and i don't know why really that's just me i uh, i only killed one i think i only ever killed one buck in the evening okay yeah the rest of them are all morning morning deer um but yeah i don't i don't know like that's if you want to hunt mornings just hunt mornings i love to hunt the mornings i really do yeah um you have any any deer from last year that are really on your mind this year yeah there's two in particular i had i've sent you a picture of them that one big eight pointer that i had and then that the other deer that was pretty close to him was a big 10 that had that like flyer off the one side I'll, Mm -hmm. i'll show you i'll send you pictures again um, I don't know if they're alive. I didn't hear of anybody. Out. Sometimes you're always like, oh, I would have heard about that buck. This is it's a big area. You don't always going to hear, like, it might go up on somebody's farm wall and they don't really care. You know what I mean? Well, that's like, just it. Not everybody's taking a picture and popping it on Facebook or something. Like, that happens right. a lot when yeah. you find it. Like, I've had that happen to me. And you know, like... I think I told, I think I told you during rifle, there was, like, two really big drives um across like this whole area and and they shot some nice bucks on it i i didn't recognize they didn't post any pictures i just have some friends that knew taxidermists here new taxidermists there send you pictures you know i didn't recognize any of them mm-hmm. but then that surprises you like oh okay like <laughs> were they in the area that i was like, i don't know yeah. i didn't have any pictures of those bucks but there's a, you know my grandfather always, I, I probably write this a lot too is there's a lot more room around them than there is on them. So your camera might not catch every deer in that woods. They might be smart to cameras, you know? Well, how many times, I was just talking about this with Greg Litzinger. How many times do you set a camera up and you're just missing the movement just off to the right? And he, mm-hmm. was, he was like, this one area, he goes, I started putting two cameras at a spot to get more of a wider. Yeah, he's, he's told me that too. Like, put them 10 yards apart and face them different directions. Like, And I, I fully agree with that. There's a, there's a ridge that I used, I haven't run cameras on that one for a while, but it was a pretty good, like end of October, but really a rut, a rut cruising type ridge. Um, and, uh, I would hang one camera on that and be like, yeah, it's like pretty good. And then you'd go in there and hunt and be like, there's deer everywhere in here. There's just so much room on places like that. Especially in in mountains and woods. It is. But to attest to it, I, I sent a. A buddy of mine, um, who is who is a very good hunter and shot some really nice, really nice bucks in the last couple of years. Um, I sent him to that to this spot that I just talked about last year, and uh, he saw thirteen bucks and a bear. I would have gotten two of those bucks on camera had I had a camera there. So it's like, just don't. There's just a lot of room, you know. There is a lot of room. Uh, it's it's easy to it's easier to miss them than it is to to get yeah. them on a camera. And you gotta, that goes for shooting too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, hundred percent. But you got to remember that cameras are a tool. They're not like your end all be all. Like you got to know like if you go there and don't get pictures on your camera and there's like a giant rub line, you can't say there's no deer in here. If that especially if that rub line or there's uh. You know, you go in an area and the deer like scrape up all the leaves and there's, you know, it looks like 
18,000 turkeys were in there, but you know, it's deer cause there's tracks and poop everywhere. And that's off from your camera. You know, there's been deer in there, especially if it wasn't there when you hung the camera, mm-hmm. you can't tell yourself, Oh, there's no deer in here. Cause there's no camera. The sign is right there. Yeah. You got to pay attention to everything. You, like take, take the stuff you get from the camera, use it as a tool, but then you got to know like, Hey, there's a lot of outlier area here that, you know, there, there's going to be something else good. For sure. Well, hey, this is uh, this has been good. I really like that we talked about those windows because, like I said, that's you, you just kind of gave me a little bit more confidence in my thought process because I haven't had many people to run this by, but that's what I'm going off of in some of those places that some of the places I hunt this year. And yeah, you know, other than that, it's going to be uh, you know whenever I can find time to just kind of dive into it. Yeah, and the hardest thing about windows is is keeping yourself out of it until you get there because you know like oh there's a deer there I want to get there and hunt it but you gotta wait sometimes. Well, and here's the other thing too. So like if you're going on like piggybacking off of what we just talked about, like if you've got that like two to three day window when a buck has showed up in the past and the one in particular, man, he's done it three years every year. Yeah. So I keep going like when's the first day because the first day might be like last year it was 28th of october and then the year before that it was the the 26th Mm -hmm. so it's like when's the first day to go and like then again do i just pick that window and say i'm gonna hunt three mornings in a row every morning yeah and and like that's a tough one too because i'm hunting a very small um isolated area now if it's a roaming buck all i need for him to do is cruise through one time yeah but you know hunting it consecutively three days am i going to do anything by adjusting any of the deer that are there as am i going to put scent there that's not needed and he's going to get there after dark Mm -hmm. probably overthinking it way too much i probably just need to go and when i get to that window hunt it and see what happens i think that goes for everything in hunting like you can watch like, oh, how do I be a better hunter? And you're watching YouTube videos and reading magazine articles and doing this and doing that. Sometimes you just need to go out and do it until you just figure it out for yourself because not everybody's stuff is going to help you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I might say something on this podcast that somebody's like, oh, I like that. And they'll use that part of it. But then they might use, like, uh, something from somebody else they hear. They will because I don't use, like, I'm not like, I hunt like Dan Infault. I like Dan Infault. He is a very good hunter. I've taken some things from him, but I am not a good bed hunter. Like, I can't go sit over a bed and kill a deer. Greg Listinger's another one that just blows me away. Right. And Watch he can do that stuff. And, it's and, like- and Greg and I, I'm buddies. Greg and I are buddies, man. Like, I can't hunt like Greg, but I can hunt like I hunt, and I can take things from Greg and learn. Like, I've learned a lot from Greg. Mm-hmm. And, and he... I mean, first of all, Greg is, if you have not met Greg, you need to find Greg when you go to a show or something. Cause dude is an awesome human being. Um, but that being said, like I don't hunt just like Greg, but I've taken bits and pieces of things that Greg has done. Like the way he reads deer sign, you know, like he has that thing where like, um, if a deer's ticking through certain brush, like you can see that the tine marks that that go through the diff, you know, just just the way that guy reads sign is different than anybody else. Same with like Johnny Stewart. Same with like it's a good idea to get somebody that hunts different than you. Like I scout a lot with Clint. Clint and I see eye to eye on just about every aspect of when we talk, but we don't always scout the exact same. You can see how you can pick other things up from other people, and you just kind of make your own thing, you know. And 
the only way to get better at it is to keep doing it, like physically doing it, not reading about how somebody else did it. You have to go and do it. I'm glad you said that because where I've, what I've learned from me, I feel I get, I lose attention to detail. Like we were talking about trail cameras, either using them as a tool. Like I feel like trail cameras, I've almost relied too much on trail cameras over the years and missed my attention to detail and scouting, like mm-hmm. seeing little things as far as tracks and sign and stuff. And, you know, maybe to be fair, some of the places I've hunted, if you hunt private land and you get a history of that, I don't necessarily need to. Right. And yeah. if you shift on how you hunt or where you hunt, now like I'm I'm kind of transitioning some of the things I do just out of pure interest in the time I have and now I'm learning like there's other things I need to probably do different and and one of it is just that attention to detail and scouting. Yeah. I mean it is I you know we're everybody's concerned about like trail camera banning right now because it's happening in a lot of states like delaware you can't run any trail cameras anymore kansas state land state land right you can on private um kansas is it the same you can run i think it's the same i should know this because i i've had so many conversations with the exodus guys about it but um either way there's bans on trail cameras in both states and it's not just cell cams anymore right like you know, cell cam is a big topic because like, you know, personally, I don't know anybody who uses cell cam unethically. I don't know somebody who puts a cell cam on a bed is like, oh, there's a deer now and tries to go kill the deer. You're using that like in, in a retrospect still, it's better than like a picture that you got four weeks ago, but it's probably a day or two old most of the time. Um, so people are, you know, questioning the ethics of cell cams. I don't really know anybody who uses them unethically, um, where they can take a clear advantage over a deer. Ethics is a moving target too, because everybody's got a different opinion of what that ethics standard is. Right. Like for me, the one I killed two years ago or three years ago, whatever that is now, um, I had a picture of him in the morning, and I knew because it was an eighty degree day, he was going to be bedded within two hundred yards of there, and I killed him that night. But that's still skill and knowledge. Like you could have done that without a cell cam. Right. You'd have been like, hey, this is an 80 degree day. There's a really good chance the buck is bedded in this area because of the weather. I, I agree. And and gone and hunted it. And first of all, like if you're using a cell cam in that way, you still have to get in there. Most of these places, like if you're hunting public using cell cams, you're probably not walking 20 yards from your truck to go kill a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably hiking a couple miles. That deer still has to be there. <laughs> like especially in a big wood setting that deer could be two miles away already by the right. time you get there so i just don't like you said ethics everybody has their own opinion on what is and what isn't ethical um truly i think for me when it comes down to it if you're truly using intel to almost like you're stalking a deer with a cell cam that's not really my thing like it's legal so you like do it whatever you know, everybody talks about the, some, I guess some lady in some other state went out, got a, she was packing up for a hunt somewhere, got a picture of a big buck in her field out back, grabbed her gun and, uh, climbed up over the hill and shot the deer. Legal. Yeah. Would I feel good about doing that myself? Like, no, not really. Like that wouldn't do it for me. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but technically, it, yeah, right now it's ethical because it's legal. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And, and I, I hate when we get – I hate when the conversation within the hunting community gets 
outside of that. Like, it's within a legal boundary, and we're still nitpicking it. If you don't like it, just let it go is yeah. my kind of thing. Like uh, like the Saturday-Monday PA opener. Oh, who cares? <laughs> Dude, that's probably an hour long of back and forth, yeah. and at the end of the day, it's like, I'm, I'm like sure to me, it makes no difference. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just a who day. Who cares? It's like my birthday. It's just a day. <laughs> it's just another day of the year. Yeah. Um, we probably shouldn't talk too much about that because you'll probably get plenty of hate mail on that. But oh, I'm all I'm all for that. In fact, it was kind of funny because the episode I did a couple weeks ago, we talked about that, and like I had my grandfather's on, and they were they were like in favor of the Monday opener and no Sunday hunting. And I think there's a lot of generational thing too. But like at the end of the day, I'm just like, what does it matter? We 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 got. If they're Sunday hunting, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably not going hunting on a Sunday that often. I might here and there, but I'm probably not going to that often. And I have Because I got other stuff to do on it. Like, you know, I got my family and I got, I want to go to church. Like, I got stuff I want to do on a Sunday. But if you want to go on a Sunday or somebody else wants to go on a Sunday, I don't care. I am for Sunday hunting because I think that, I think that especially like, especially now if somebody can um, pour into the life of a kid because they took them hunting on a Sunday because they had time to do that. Like, um, yeah, they should be doing that. Right. Cause like there's a lot of messed up stuff going on right now. And if hunting is something that helps somebody be a better person, then they should, they should help make that person a better person. So I had this argument with somebody who is a very good deer hunter and they're very against Sunday hunting and I, I believe a lot of it is from their, their Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've said this before, you know, I'm a Christian and, and I still stand by that Sunday hunting is a good thing for exactly what you just said. But one thing I think is by stating that you shouldn't go hunting on Sunday because that's the day of rest or the day of you are not going to bring anybody closer to Christ and saying that and, and putting a force on, on man that like, like me telling Aaron, you shouldn't go hunting on Sunday because that's the day you should be in church. That's not going to bring you any closer no. to Jesus. I'm pretty sure like, uh, you know, if you read, if I, I'm a Christian too. And I, I think that if you, if you spend some time reading the Bible, you'd find out that, you know, uh, Jesus and his disciples, um, were pegged trying to get, uh, you know, trying, they were, breaking the Sabbath, the Pharisees tried, you know, the, the leaders in the law, people who hated Jesus tried to tell him, Oh, your disciples are, are breaking the Sabbath. Cause they're, you know what, but you, what you're saying is, is yeah, like our whole purpose to be here in, in, in life is to bring people to Jesus. And I think that like, and it, and it goes, it, it, you know, you can make a difference in somebody's life if you can take them on a Sunday and you know what, you're probably going to be able to take somebody that's 13 years old and can't get out of school. You're probably going to be able to take them on a Sunday a lot easier than you can get them to go hunting on a Wednesday. Well, I had Dwayne Dunmire on the podcast from PFSC and he was talking about, um, the hunter ed courses being changed to a Wednesday in the summertime because kids don't have anything on a Wednesday, but their, their weekends are packed full and stuff like that. So thinking about Sunday, like absolutely like, you know, I think about some of the friends that I have that have kids that are in three sport athletes and taking them everywhere under the, under the sun. Mm-hmm. Like 
Sunday afternoons, what is wrong with them going out and experiencing that? And like Absolutely. you said, bringing, bringing light and see. Like, I take it from my let, – let's flip the coin and let's put it on my perspective. I am as adamant about shooting a mature buck as any anybody. Yeah. So if I allow myself to be consumed by another full day mm-hmm. – I take that away from my family. I take that away from like there's a there is a rest aspect for me. I need to be cognizant of, mm-hmm. but not everybody's walk of life is the same. Right, like their passion and drive for hunting might be different, and that doesn't mean it might not be rest for me. Like I've said this before, it is rest for me to hunt, but at the same time, it's not because I'm driven. I want to shoot a buck. So yeah. like, there's an aspect to me where your body's definitely going through stress, whether or not it's like a good. A good. I mean, it's obviously healthy stress, but it's definitely going through something. Exactly. But there's a lot of people out there that yeah. don't have that same feeling by going deer hunting on a Sunday afternoon or right. going small game hunting on a Sunday afternoon. Right. So then don't go. Right. <laughs> so like the, the, the people that like it's just completely relaxed and whatever happens happens and want to go hunting on a Sunday afternoon, that's okay. Yeah. It's 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 an individual choice that you need to learn for yeah. yourself. Yeah. That's why I'm for. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fully with you there, man. Like, I think I think it would be an important thing that could happen for a, a lot of people. And again, I I probably won't. I, I'm not saying I'd never go, but like I probably won't go that often on a Sunday. Yeah, like right now, I think the only Sunday I've been hunting is the one in bear season because like you go to camp. <laughs> I've gone on that one. You go you go to camp. You hunt Saturday, and it's like, well, you're here. You with the group, you, right? I guess we'll go Sunday, and yeah. we do. But yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. I agree with you, man. I think there's, but you know, on on the on the trail camera band, like I, I've said a couple times. I know this is like kind of taking a turn here, but and we can talk about this briefly because I know we're getting long. But uh, I think the trail camera band, like if I didn't have trail cameras, I still have pretty good confidence in being able to find a mature buck and kill a mature buck. Or, you know, or the caliber of buck that I'm hoping to kill. And I I don't think that I need a camera to do it. I think the thing that I like about cameras is, A, it's another good reason to get out in the woods. It's a motivator to scout a little bit. Um, B, I really like looking at pictures of deer and seeing what's in the area. Like, who doesn't? Like, it's something to get you a little pumped up and be like, oh, there's a good one. And it gives you that little bit more of motivation and might help you wake up five minutes earlier. Yeah. Um, I think that if we don't have cameras, I think that it might actually make people quit hunting. You're right. Um, I think that people really rely on cameras and like them. So they like the aspect of cameras so much that they just wouldn't know what to do without them. But I, I, I actually didn't even own a trail camera until maybe five years ago. Okay. You know, and then, um, uh, I think I've written for Exodus now for, for like just about two years little under two years, um, like a year and a half. Now that, you know, I'm with them, I know like so much more about trail cameras, like just having fun with them, you know, it, it's just a whole nother aspect that just keeps you excited about hunting. But if you truly like hunting, you can do without it. But I think so many people that are new to the sport, like don't know anything different, um, than running a trail camera, especially if you're solely deer hunting, like if you're doing a small game thing or, you, you know, whatever, you, you might learn a little bit other things um, about how not to use a trail camera. Because I think anything that you hunt or fish for teaches you a lot about deer hunting. Like you can fish for bass and learn something about deer hunting. Oh, really? 
I think so. Like they use train, like a bass uses train the same way a deer does. You know, like you get on a point in a lake, a, a bass will sit on that point pending how the current is going. Like if you got a, uh, we'll say here, this, this lake runs, um, east to west like if you got a west wind that bass is probably going to be on the east side of the point waiting for bait to come over the top of it to catch the less current you know um they hide just like a deer now obviously they're predators so they're hiding because they want to catch their prey but like they'll you know and if the if the sun is out too high they're going to be lower in that point because they want to get in somewhere darker where they can hide better you know unless it's a certain time of year where they're spawning and you have to have them up high because they need sunlight to, 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 um, expand their nest or whatever. So it, they, you learn something about wildlife by anything that you do in wildlife and learn how to, um, if you're casting for a bass on that thing, you might be able to, you know, fan cast a crankbait past them. But if you're flipping to something that you think there's like, Oh, there's like a, uh, um, a pile of cinder blocks on that point or something that that bass is sitting on and you want to pitch to it, you got to be right there. And it's just like somebody hunting with a bow on a point or a ridge. Like you have to be, you know, depending on how good of a shot you are, but probably 30 yards and under Yeah. to that, to that spot. It's the same thing as pitching a little uh, flipping jig to that, you know, that pile of rocks that are there. So I think it's and and if you hunt squirrels, you gotta learn. Maybe you're like you practice stalking squirrels through the woods and being quiet, or like just the patience of waiting them for them to come out and out of a certain hole in a tree or something. You know what I mean? It's the same idea. You get anything that you can get from any type of hunting experience, you can apply to deer. But trail cameras are pretty specific to deer. So if you're learning so much about just trail cameras. Again, they're a tool, but you have to have all the other parts of the, you have to have all the other tools in your toolbox to make this tool work really well. Right. Right. So I think that's one thing that's like a little nerve wracking about banning on cell, on trail cameras in general for people is like, how am I going to hunt without them? You can do it. Trust me, you can do it. Just go walk around the woods for a while and learn some things, you know? Um, and honestly, you probably, um, will appreciate and enjoy it a lot more than just using trail cameras. Cause I, again, I appreciate cameras very much cause I like, I love getting pictures of deer. I love the, you know, I, you know, waking up to 60 pictures cause my buddies all sent me pictures of this big 10 pointer that, you know, like I love that stuff. It's great. It's part of, it's part of what makes, um, hunting in this day and age fun. But yeah. like, I think that it's important to not forget the other stuff too. It is like woodsmanship skills, I think, are harder and harder to come by just because we're so bombarded with technology and mm -hmm. it makes, make it, I'll speak for myself, makes me lazy. Yeah. It yeah. Makes me lazy. And I think part of the woodsmanship thing isn't just like learning to read deer sign. Like if you're hunting big woods, you need to know. Now, I'm not, a lot of my friends say that I'm good at, you know, vegetation and plants. I know a little bit. My dad was a, went to forestry school for a while. So he knows a lot about that stuff. So when I was a kid, he'd be like, Oh, this is that tree. This is that tree. And I know a little bit and I know what deer like to eat. Cause I've watched them eat it or something like that. And then I go and learn what that is. But like, if you don't know any of that stuff, you need to like get a book or download. There's like that ID me or something. Some yeah, plan. There's a lot of them. There's a lot. And yeah, they might cost you something, um, but use it for a year. You might learn 
a lot more than you realize. You might walk into this place and be like, look at all this, like, worthwhile hunting stuff here, you know, and and, and learn something about, you know, natural habitat here and what, what is good and what isn't good. And um, then you also are able to educate people outside the hunting space. You know, right. people are um, – people get upset when they see uh, – um, controlled burns or when they see clear cuts they're like oh deforestation no they're making a lot of food like it's not the same as like cutting the woods down and making a skyscraper you know like that's bringing a lot of good stuff in here and they're managing a forest you know everything below five feet but if you can if you can learn something about that and then teach like i've had so many people that i work with that don't hunt and we're kind of like on the fence now they're like oh just because i know you like I've learned so much about hunting and why it's good for the environment or good for conservation or whatever and even learned a little bit for me about the woods and how the like uh, forestry and game commission takes care of it like I care about it now like I'm probably not going to be involved in it but like if somebody tells me like that they're interested or that they hate it like oh I'm totally against that they'll be like well this guy told me this about it maybe you should look into what he has to say and then like they do and then it's it's a it's all right like you get a lot more people are like not on the fence anymore they're like okay with it you know that's a good thing it's good to challenge your opinions because that does one of two things it either a solidifies what you already believed or number two it gives you a new way of thinking yeah yeah 100 percent. man this has been fun thanks for uh thanks for letting me uh bend your ear for a while i appreciate it so people you pretty much just uh if people want to follow along with you you pretty much just all instagram yeah, I have Facebook too, but most people have followed me on either or. It's uh, Aaron underscore Hepler on Instagram. Um, and then you can anything that I, I write here and there. So most of the stuff that I write is either on um, Truth From The Stand or uh, uh, ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Yeah, absolutely. You had a bunch of good stuff this summer, and uh, I'm sure you'll have more come up in the fall, so check that out. Yep. Thanks for, uh, thanks for meeting, and i got to make sure we make this happen a little yeah, we're so close we need to make it happen more <laughs> often hey take care you too buddy <laughs>